Dominic, Dominic, Dominic. Highly contested. T3 on the track. The takes is high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you want to talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts. Show the stats. Act like radios are off. The takes is high. Highly contested. It's getting wild. Highly contested. If you want to talk the talk, then you better walk the walk. Get the facts. Show the stats. Hello and welcome to Highly Contested. This podcast covers some of the hottest topics in the world of football and basketball, where our crew gives our highly contested takes on these topics and supports our takes with facts. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Joe and George. George, how you doing today? Doing pretty good, man. You know, it's almost football season, so I'm getting ready and doing some of my last fantasy football drafts, and might I say... I'm doing really well in my drafts. How are you guys doing? How you doing, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. Same thing, finishing with fantasy football drafts. Our league, the, what the highly contested crew is in, we just finished our drafts, and I might say I have the best team. <laughs> Interesting. So, <laughs> some of today's featured topics include Are the Miami Heat the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference? Who would you rather have as your number one receiver, Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins? And which NFL team will have the best defense in 2020? Let's dive headfirst into it here on Highly Contested. Let's jump right into it. The Houston Rockets won game one on Friday versus the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron and company adjusted their strategy in Game 2 and defeated the Rockets to even the series at 1-1. One and one. Then they went on to beat the Rockets again in Game 3 for a 2-1 series lead. The Lakers lost Game 1 versus the Portland Trailblazers in a similar fashion before going 4-0 and to complete the gentleman's sweep. Now everyone is wondering if the Lakers will do the same to the Rockets. So, George... Was game one a giveaway game for LeBron and company in order to analyze the Rockets? I'm not going to say it's enough to analyze them, but I'm, I'm saying it's probably going to be the same uh, similar fashion that we saw with the Portland. Now, I think this will go six, not five. I think Rockets can maybe win one more game, but playoff Rondo, man. He's here. He's back. He's orchestrating that offense when LeBron gets to sit on the bench. We've seen it. In this fourth quarter of game three, where they took the 2-1 lead, Rondo was out there making plays, making shots, getting teammates involved. And not just that, but he was pestering James Harden on defense. James Harden was not able to get to his spots. He was having hard times. I even seen him make some turnovers, you know, that turned into transition buckets for the Lakers. I like what I'm seeing from the Lakers, man. They're, They're looking good. Rockets, they should be scared. I was never scared being a Laker fan, but... This is what's going on. So I'm saying similar fashion. Lakers in five or six. Interesting take. Joe, what do you think? I think the Lakers are copying their same pattern they did in the first series with the Blazers. And now with the Rockets. They lost game one with the Blazers. Then they swept the rest of the series. Flash forward to now. They lost game one. And now they just won the next two. Game one to the Lakers is just like a filler game, seeing what could happen, what couldn't. And um, 
and the opposing like shows me like what's going like they're gonna sand back a little bit you know prove to me what you got while i take a minute you know what i'm saying and for, for game one without they were without jason kidd their assistant head coach and uh vogel decided to keep mcgee in the starting lineup so now hear me out with this who's really running the team jason kidd or vogel Mm, interesting take so uh george do you have anything to say off of that or would you like me to go ahead and give my take i just answered joe's question i'm gonna say frank vogel is still running the team Uh, i mean obviously they brought jason kidd in there to help out and give his knowledge on the game so i'm gonna say i mean they're both obviously doing their part but at the end of the day uh the calls go to frank vogel he's the head coach and he's obviously gonna take you know Jason Kidd's opinion into factor since he is the assistant head coach and that's what they brought him there for. So to answer your question, Frank Vogel is still running that. Drew, go ahead. No, well, Drew, I'm not George. I'm going to say that um, to to re-answer your question, I still think um, Vogel isn't the prime decision. I think they're going to go with Jason Kidd within a year or two. Not this, not the end of this year, but maybe two or three years. Yeah, I mean, in the future, who knows who might take the lead spot? Maybe it is uh, Jason Kidd. Maybe it's somebody else. But as of right now, in the moment we're speaking of, I'm going to say Frank Vogel is still the head coach, and he's still the one making the decisions at the end of the day. Yeah, as of now, yeah. Drew, what are your thoughts? Well, it's funny that you guys mentioned Frank Vogel because I'm talking to, I, I actually have some stuff about him, but uh, to first address the question that was asked. So um, the question is, was game one a giveaway game? Um, I believe they definitely walked into both game ones in both series versus the Rockets and the Trailblazers with the mindset to win. But they also understand that this is a marathon and sometimes you have to save your energy and analyze the situation in order to go hard for the other 20 miles. LeBron's in year 17, so it makes sense that we that he would just do his best to rest for the games to come. There was no surprise that the Lakers would come up with a defensive strategy after that game loss and the way that they lost. As I mentioned, uh, I have something about Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel has had much experience actually going up against star players. Uh, he regularly went up against LeBron when he was coaching in Indiana, and I believe that he is very adept at developing strategies to combat star players. This new strategy has been effective. Basically, they're taking the player that defends Westbrook and they pull him to play help defense on Harden. Either that or they'll sometimes pull LeBron specifically to go and play help defense on Harden. And this forces Harden to give the ball to most likely Westbrook and the Lakers are daring him to shoot. Uh, in game two, Westbrook was one of seven from three, and he has to do a better job of that for them to win. But if I'm just looking at game two in particular, the Rockets made 22 threes, and the Lakers were still able to win the game. And a big part of that has to do with the fact that the Rockets were held to only 26 points in the paint, which is abysmal when you think about it. This new strategy the Lakers have limits the Rockets from getting those points in the paint. But the burden is going to fall upon the Rockets now to come up with a different strategy. They're down 2-1, and to be honest, I don't believe they will come up with a strategy. 
Coach D'Antoni doesn't seem to be interested in developing a new strategy, and I believe if the Lakers win this series, I think it'll be his undoing. Yeah, uh, I do agree with that claim that you're saying that, you know, I don't believe D'Antoni is going to make adjustments. We've never really seen him make adjustments. And I can't recall the exact word he said about the Lakers making adjustments from game one and game two. But basically, the way it came off was saying uh, that the Lakers were scared in a sense, and that's why they made adjustments. But in reality, this is why we've never seen a D'Antoni team make it to the finals. You know, he's not one to make adjustments as the games go on. And that's what you need to do in order to make it to the finals and possibly win the finals. You know, things are going to happen. You got to adjust, but he's willing to live and die by the motto that he has set. What do you got to say, Joe? Honestly, I, I think D'Antoni gets what he's gets what he deserves right now for using Carmelo Anthony as a scapegoat for the time that he was with the Rockets. So he, he's get what he deserves. He ain't, he ain't getting further on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think a, a big uh, factor going into the series is going to be Robert Cummington and his injury. So he got injured in this game three. His face collided with the elbow of Anthony Davis, and he went straight to the locker room after that, and he didn't go back into the game. I mean, although it was – the end of the fourth quarter, basically. So there's no point in him returning if he could, but we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on that. You know, his, he had blood on his face, possible broken nose, concussion, maybe both. So definitely keep an eye on that. Does he miss the next game? Uh, Cause he's a big part of what they're trying to do in that small ball lineup. You know, he's hitting threes. He's playing nice defense. So definitely got to watch for him going deep into this series. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Robert Covington, he's an essential part of that offense. He really is uh, because not only can he you know, shoot the three and shoot it well, but he is athletic enough to grab rebounds and play defense. So it's a very pivotal part of that offense that they have going for them. To, to address your point about D'Antoni, um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that coming from you, a Lakers fan, which you know D'Antoni was a former Lakers coach, he had, you know, a ton of pieces around him too. It's not like he it's not like he didn't have a solid team on him. He I mean, you had you had Kobe, you had Nash, you had uh Dwight Howard. I mean, this just isn't that's just to name three. And there was, you know, clearly there was more players on that squad, like Gasol and every and you know, others. But, you know, you have a ton of good players on that squad. You could argue that maybe they were getting some of them were getting older, but you have a ton of good players in that squad. And, you know, still didn't make it to the finals. So, yeah. We're going to switch it up now and go ahead and switch to the East. The Miami Heat won game five of their series versus the Milwaukee Bucks, completing the series with a four to one gentleman sweep. They have won each series decisively with an overall record of eight to one in the playoffs and are now in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, George, are the Heat the favorites to come out of the East with their decisive series victory over the Bucks? Hey, man, the, the Heat, like I've said from day one, have been my dark horse. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to be favored to win. I don't think they've been favored in any game in these series, really, uh, besides the first round matchup, but... 
they're not going to be favored because the Celtics are going to be that third seed if they make it out. If not, then if the um, Raptors make it out, you know, they're the defending champs. They're still a higher seed. So they'll definitely have the better odds, you know, for making it or for winning. But I mean, I'm not counting the Heat out. They're my favorites, but I don't think they'll be the favorites for like Vegas or anyone else that makes these odds. Uh, the Heat, man, they've put these teams on watch. You know, they, what, 8-1 uh, and one in these playoffs. Mm. So Jimmy Butler, he's showing that he can do whatever it takes to win, whether that's going out, dropping career numbers for points in 40, or whether he goes out, gets 8 or 10 points, but does everything else to help the team win and let everyone else make their shots. Like I've said before, the Rockets, they got shooters, they got players, you know, they got it all. You know, they're a little undersized, but against the Celtics, that, that'll be okay. You know, the Celtics aren't a huge team, so they'll be able to match up with them pretty well. And that'll be an exciting series to keep an eye out for. I would still pick the Heat. I'm picking the Heat to make it to the end to face the Lakers, and I got the Lakers winning that. But as far as this next round, I don't think they'll be favored by any odd makers, but they're definitely my favorites. Yeah, so um, I believe wholeheartedly that the Heat are doing great things, but they're not the favorites to come out of the East. We can't dismiss the Boston Celtics, who are a game away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, they, of course, they got to win that game versus the Raptors, and they can very easily lose that series if they lose the next two games. But uh, I believe that they will win. They look like they're in control. And so I'm going to just give, I'm just going to say uh, for the sake of argument that they do win. Now, if they do win and they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, I got to give the edge to the Boston Celtics in as far as the favorites category goes. Because when you look at these two teams, they're very similar. Both teams are well-rounded. They have multiple players that can step up at any given moment. And both teams are well-coached. Both coaches know how to win. They know how to draw plays up. And let's be real, the Boston Celtics, they've been impressive and they've had a better record and they are the number three seed versus the Heat, who are the number five seed. I just think the Celtics are the favorites. They have the pieces and a well-structured system just like the Heat, but they've been doing it for longer under Brad Stevens. I give the title of favorites to them. But as I mentioned in the podcast where we gave our predictions about the Heat and the Bucks. As I mentioned then, I said that the team that wins this, I said that the team that wins that series is going to represent the East in the finals, and I stand by that statement. The Heat are going to represent the East in the finals, regardless of whatever team I believe wins that series versus the Boston and Toronto. George. Yeah, so real quick, I I stand corrected. I looked at the Vegas odds for the NBA playoffs. And the Miami Heat are actually favored to make it out the Eastern Conference Finals. And to win the NBA Finals, they are the fourth. Mm. So, and that's as of Tuesday, September the 8th. Mm. So that didn't even, that the Heat had not even won their, or wait, did they win their series already at that point? No, it, it's, uh, today's the ninth, I believe. Or no, oh, today's okay. the eighth. Today's so it was updated eighth. this. Yeah, it was updated this morning. Uh, okay. So as an updated 
the results of the games today. I see. I see. All right, Joe, what is what are your thoughts? What do you think? Are the Heat the favorites, or do you believe that the Celtics or the Raptors should be the favorites to come out of the East? Uh, judging by the past prior games that the Heat had, man, they are a solid team right now. So, without a doubt, the Heat are the favorites to come out the East. East, uh, not East, East, <laughs> SpongeBob, <laughs> but yeah, <I'd> East. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are they are favored to come out the East to me. So be sure that I will be betting on the Heat to um, make it to the um, finals and possibly win it. Mm. I'm glad someone's. <clears throat> I'm glad someone's finally putting some respect on the Miami Heat, though. Yeah, hey, I always have. I never said anything about anything bad about the heat or Jimmy bucket. So Butler, that's the other podcast member. All right, Eric. <laughs> hey man, yeah. I'm not saying no names, Joe, but did you hey. pick the heat to win? The win what the, the bucks. Yeah. Pre pre predictions. Did, were they your pick? Uh, yeah, I said the bucks would win, but the heat proved me wrong. And I never said nothing bad about the heat. Yeah, yeah, but now we got you to put some respect on them, and that's all I want. Yeah, I, I say, did have I didn't respect. Say you, I, I never said you disrespected, but now they got your respect. Uh, do they, though? <laughs> it sounds like they do, unless you're going to backtrack and say you, they don't have your respect. Hey, it's recorded. I don't, I don't need to backtrack anything. It's on the podcast, all right? Yeah, so Drew, they got your respect, right? Drew, c- control this man. Control this <laughs> man. <laughs> Someone come get their mans. <laughs> Let's all be real here. The real person that needs to put the respect on the Heat's name is Eric. And unfortunately, he's not here to defend himself. But uh, if he was, then we'd be we'd be giving it to him. <laughs> but um, let's gonna we're going to switch gears now. And uh, we're going to actually go ahead and transfer over to the NFL. So DeAndre Hopkins got a two-year extension on his contract on Tuesday. The newly acquired Arizona Cardinals receiver will receive almost $25 million a year three years from now. The question we decided to discuss here on Highly Contested, who would you rather have as your number one wide receiver, Michael Thomas or DeAndre Hopkins? Joe, we'll start with you. I would have DeAndre Hopkins because to me he's the better receiver here. Because he doesn't have a future Hall of Fame QB throwing to him and the offensive line that gives Breeze the time to throw it to him. And I got some stats here from the time Michael Thomas entered the league and uh, compared to uh, Hopkins the same years that he did, 2016 to 2019 last year. Okay, so... Past targets, DeAndre Hawkins had 638 to Michael Thomas's 602. Um, DeAndre Hopkins had uh, 393 receptions to Michael Thomas's 470. And receiving yards, Hopkins had 5,069 and Michael Thomas had 5,512. Remember, Thomas has breeze he can make any throw happen i'm not knocking thomas because he is a good receiver but the work that hawkins has to do 
with an with an okay QB. Hopkins is not at the level with Breeze, but he's he's good. Don't get me wrong. But now since he's with Kyler, I think he's going to do a whole much better. Kyler has a better offensive line than last year, and I expect uh, Hopkins to have a lot more receptions, yards, and TDs with these two together. Mm. George. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Joe on this one. I would definitely pick Michael uh, DeAndre Hopkins over Michael Thomas as my wide receiver. Um, So I got a question, you know, would Jerry Rice be known as one of the best, if not the best receiver, if he didn't to have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If he didn't have those two Hall of Famers, would Jerry Rice be known as what we know now as the Jerry Rice? I don't. Yeah, he he could have. He could. He could still have good seasons. Maybe not to the spectacular as he is now. Exactly my point. If he didn't have Joe Montana or Steve Young throwing him, he'd still be a, a really good wide receiver. You know, people mm-hmm. would definitely know that about him. But would he be arguably one of the best receivers to ever have done it? That we don't know. You know, he had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks thrown to him his whole career. And that's what Michael Thomas has. You know, he's got Drew Brees who's throwing him the ball. Whether he is getting older or not, I mean, he's still Drew Brees. He's still the most accurate quarterback in the league, you know, versus um, Hopkins, where he's had this will be his 11th different quarterback with um, Kyle Murray, but he had 10 with the Texans. You know, he had Matt Schaub, Case Keenum, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Mallett. Brian Hoyer, TJ Yates, Brandon Whedon, Brock Osweiler, Tom Savage, and then finally Deshaun Watson. You know, a lot of those people, I don't even remember, honestly. Like, they, <laughs> you know, let's keep it real. Like, who who were they? You know, no one good throwing him the ball. And in 2018, Hopkins set a record with 105 catches without any drops. He had 1,517. 72 receiving yards, 11 touchdowns in those 16 starts. And that was with Deshaun Watson. So we saw when he finally did get a, you know, good quarterback, he was able to still ball out better than he was even with those other quarterbacks, which he still was good. It's not like he was bad when he had those other quarterbacks with him. But, you know, he's definitely great if I if he had, you know, Drew Brees thrown to him. Who knows what his numbers could have been. Hmm. Even with a better offensive line, he could have had. Let's, let's stick with the point with Watts, Watson. If he had a be, if Watson had a better offensive line, I think Hopkins could have done even a better job than he did in 2019 with him. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with both of you guys. Uh, I think that I think that Michael Thomas is a great receiver. Um, my beef though, is that I just haven't seen him do it at, enough without Drew Brees throwing him the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be real here. Uh, Hopkins, as you guys, as George had mentioned, he's been successful regardless of the QB throwing to him. He's had 11 different starting quarterbacks. And in 2015 alone, he had four different QBs throwing to him and he still managed 111 yards. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, 111 receptions over 1500 yards and 11 touchdowns. He accomplished this with Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, TJ Yates, and Brandon Whedon throwing to him. 
three out of those four guys aren't even in the league anymore. And the fourth guy is just a backup. <laughs> I mean, there you have it, right? Yeah. Michael Thomas has yet to prove that he can produce for an entire season without Drew Brees. And that's why I am stating that Hopkins is a better receiver. Now, um, as far as who's going to have the better season, I, I, I would still say Hopkins because I think that I think that the Cardinals are looking great, but I'm, I'm taking this question as if like, okay, you have the same exact team with the same exact players around you, same exact quarterback. Who are you selecting between these two? You have the choice. One of them will not be on your team. One of them will be on your team. Who are you choosing? And I'm choosing Hopkins just because who knows who's my quarterback, who knows what the rest of my team is made of. But all I know is Hopkins has proven it with, you know, little to nothing around him. So Exactly. That's my take. Yeah, and I mean, and I'll add this in too. I, I think part of the reason we see so much success from a Michael Thomas is he does line up in the slot a lot. And we've seen the older Drew Brees gets, he's not throwing as deep or as many deep balls as he used to. So when Michael Thomas lined up in the slot, you know, he's getting more receptions, you know, more targets, which is the record he just set. And then, you know, when you're lined up in the slot, you're not going against the number one cornerbacks. You know, the number one cornerbacks are outside, you know, guarding, you know, the deeper passes versus the slot. You're going against some of the other guys. So Michael Thomas is able to, you know, just tear him apart. Yeah, for sure. Drew, you got any thoughts? My fault. So, was, my fault. So, I was on mute. <laughs> um, so my, I guess my question is, how would you? I was, I was talking when I was muted, <laughs> so I gotta recall what I was saying. Um, so how, how much of an effect do you guys think that it has on? the on a wide receiver's role or like a wide receiver's contribution if they are coming out of the slot as opposed to coming uh like doing their routes from the wide receiver position like at way out wide how much how, how much of a difference do you believe that has it has a, lo- a lot oh you want to go first george go ahead um i mean it does have a difference like i like i said you know when you're in the slot you're not going against the number one cornerbacks as often and then two, I, it depends on your quarterback. You know, if you got, like I said, Drew Brees, he's getting older. He's throwing deep less. So for Michael Thomas, it works out to be, you know, getting these short little passes, but getting more of them versus uh, let's say you got a gunslinger like a Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you know, the deeper passes are probably better. So I think it depends on who your quarterback is. And but I do believe you see more success just one on one, you know, going against the defenders in the slot versus out wide where you might be going against the number one cornerback. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I, I agree with George because the slot does not always match up with the number one corner on the defense, but I, Michael Thomas, that's his bread and butter being in the slot. It's he's quicker with his route. So he's able to get that slant route to come across the middle, catch it or do a, a zig route. 
goes up and cuts to the sideline, it's quicker and and he's fast. And Drew Brees could just sling it out because it's a shorter pass. Drew Brees ain't the type to just gunsling it like past like 40, 50 yards anymore. You saw it last year. He looked like he was tired when that was getting closer to the season. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to have to agree with you guys. So I believe that it changes things a lot because I mean, you're talking about your, you're talking about your number one wide receiver. He goes into the slot and he makes plays out of the slot. I don't know if you guys realize, but plays out of the slot, you have so much more room, especially if like you just, especially if like you just have your wide receiver um, on that same side, just running like a, just running like a go route or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, there is so much room for that wide receiver at that point to do whatever. So it's, it's hard to cover a number one wide receiver when they have all that room and you don't know what route they're going to run. They literally can run to the left diagonally. They can run just a go from the slot. You know, they can run a skinny post, you know, like there's so, there's so much different, there's so many different, routes and types of and types of routes and directions of routes that they can run that in my opinion i think it's more lethal for a wide receiver to come out of the slot what do you think joe yeah and sometimes being in a slot you're not necessarily covered by a corner you could be covered by a linebacker sometimes Mm. so that's just another reason why the slot is kind of op if you have a good enough receiver playing in that position a smart enough receiver or a receiver with as good um, as good route running as mm-hmm. Michael Thomas does. Yeah. So we've seen we I mean we've even seen Julio Jones do it too at the Falcons. He'll sometimes play out of the slot, and I mean that guy's that guy's big already as he is, and you know he's super fast already as is. You put him in a position like the slot, and you give him all that room. It's just I mean you know for me honestly, in my opinion, I'm surprised that number one receivers don't do it more often in my, in my honest opinion. So, but yeah, I mean, they, they definitely do get a advantage in the slot, but at the same time, you know, if you got a Julio Jones who can go out there and get separation on that deep ball and catch anything in his radius, you know, you want him downfield, you know? So that, that's where I think on that same with like Deandre Hopkins, you know, you, if you only put those guys in the slot, you're almost, you're not using their full capabilities because you can sling it downfield. And if it's in their area code, they're coming down with it. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wasn't trying to say that the number one receiver should line up full time in the slot, but I was more so saying that like, you know, you definitely need to throw that variety around. And I'm surprised that I'm surprised that coaches don't have their number one receivers do that more often. Yeah. I mean, they all play a small portion in the slot, nothing huge like some of these other guys, but but definitely, yeah. you know, sometime in there just to, you know, take advantage of the mismatch. Yeah, there, there's some plays out there that involves their number one in the slot just for that certain play. Mm-hmm. But going back on the DeAndre Hopkins, the reason why he's not, he's more not in the slot. Have you seen his his hand size? His hands are huge. Mm. So. That's why he's like one of the one of the to me one of the best receivers that I know. If I throw the ball to him, he's catching it. 
Exactly. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. And that, that's what I was trying to tell Drew also is, you know, if you only line, I know he wasn't trying to say line them up in the slot 100% of the time, but, you know, you're almost using, you're not using their full capabilities if you put them a good majority in the slot, because like you said, DeAndre, he's got those big hands. And we already said, you know, in 2018, when he set that record for not dropping any balls, you know, you just, and you just throw it up there and he's coming down with it. So you definitely want him out there grabbing those 50-50 balls downfield, getting those big chunks of plays versus, you know, maybe five, six yards at a time. Yeah. We are going to change topics now and go from the offense to defense. We here at Highly Contested are all about the importance of defense. With the NFL season starting this Thursday, we wanted to give our take on who will have the best defense this season. So, Joe. Who is going to have the best defense in the NFL 2020 season? Honestly, in my eyes, it's going to have to come down to these two teams, the Ravens and the Niners. The Ravens in the offseason had two huge additions to their defensive line in Clayus Campbell, ex-Jaguars, sorry, Drew, mm-hmm. and uh, Derek Wolf. These two alone made that defensive line furious. They also settled one of their needs at the, at the middle linebacker position by drafting Patrick Queen. From their D-line to the secondary is looking spectacular, even after losing all-pro Earl Thomas. And for the Niners, they made a big move trading away their all-pro def- uh, defensive uh, lineman, DeForest Buckner. But they had the talent to make Javon Kinlaw a star, Plus, they already have a beast at the end position in Nick Bosa. Hmm. But this can really work if their two big players can stay healthy in Quan Alexander and D. Ford. If they could stay healthy for the season, this defense will usually play like they how they usually do, elite. Hmm. George, uh, before I get to you, I'm going to ask Joe. Joe, you have to pick so, one of those two teams. What two team or which team are you picking between those two teams? Let's see. I guess my gut is saying the Ravens mm. because they're because de- the Niners defense is what lost them in the Super Bowl. Just saying. Mm. All right. Well, George, what are your thoughts now? What defense do you see being the best defense in the 2020 NFL season? Man, me and Joe must have the same gut, man. I'm going with the Ravens. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going with the Ravens. Basically, everything Joe already said, but they were already a top three defense last year. And I know defense, that's kind of one of those things where year to year, it's hard to predict, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised if some, you know, different team that none of us even think about will be the number one defense, you know. But as of right now, I'm going to say the Ravens, they were ranked top three last year. Um, and the big reason that I got them being the best defense is they have the easiest schedule in 2020. So with that being said, I mean, you already got the easiest schedule. You already had a top defense last year. You made the proper additions to the team that Joe already said. You know, they were third in points scored by opponents last year, first in offensive plays allowed. You know, they were top three in turnover percentage. So they already got a good all-round defense and they got an easy schedule. 
if I had to pick a, a second runner up, like Joe picked, you know, I'd probably pick the Steelers. You know, mm-hmm. they're in the same division and they got a pretty easy schedule too. And they already had a good defense also. But my gut is Ravens will be the first defense or the best defense in 2020. Great minds think alike, George. More like great guts think alike. They're all better saying. <laughs> there you go. Drew, what about you, man? Who do you think is going to be the best defense in 2020? I feel like I already know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually really salty that you mentioned the Steelers because they yeah. were my pick, oh. honestly. Uh, yeah. I, I was debating between the Ravens and the Steelers as well, and uh, I'm going with the Steelers. I think this spot goes to them. Just because of a few things. We're talking, and I'm going to look at this team in like big picture, okay? So mm-hmm. big picture, the Pittsburgh Steelers will rank 31st in pass yards per game and will rank 17th overall on offense. I think that the return of Big Ben Roethlisberger is going to boost this team's offense, which is going to give their defense more time to rest on the sidelines. Remember, this team ranked 5th in total defense with that terrible passing game. Imagine how thankful the defense is going to be if they can rest longer, knowing Big Ben is going to convert on third down much more efficiently. The Steelers also lost Stefan Twitt, which was the third, it was the third, he was the third ranked pass rusher in all of football before he got work, uh, before he got work, before he got hurt in week six. They get him back, and they get him healthy. And if he picks up where he left off last year, then offenses will need to watch out because that is the biggest piece of their defensive line when healthy. And he matches up alongside TJ Watt. And this team is just looking hot. They had the best defensive line when healthy. So this team is going to be this team is going to be great. Overall, I believe the Steelers will improve even more on their defense due to the rest that they're going to get on the sideline from their offense being able to actually do something with their lives. And the major piece that they're going to get back on the defensive line is just going to help them tremendously. I got this team number one overall on defense in 2020. Uh, that's some good facts about the Steelers. and But the thing is, Big Ben did come off of like a Tommy John surgery and judging from, I I know a lot about baseball. Sometimes that could be a good thing and a bad thing coming back from an injury like that. Mm. So we'll find out when the season starts. I agree. Uh, You know, for some that can be a career ending injury, I believe. Right, Joe. Uh, If it, if they get after they had the Tommy John surgery and, they have to get it again. That's when they usually be like, maybe I should stop playing the sport I love. Mm, I see. So, yeah, and to to address your point, George, you mentioned that the Ravens have the easiest strength of schedule. The Steelers actually have the second easiest strength of schedule, so there's not much of a disparity between those two teams there. Yep. So uh, I believe that because all things considered, this this team did not have a great offense. And they still ranked fifth overall in total defense. So all things considered, I believe this team will just come back strong with Big Ben. I know that you mentioned the injury, Joe. Yeah. I I mean, everybody, I think, has their eyes on Big Ben. And I think he's got something to prove, honestly, because 
he um he was trying to prove something even last year uh and you know he was unable to so i think that you know it's weighing on his mind for sure Well, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on Highly Contested. We will post a podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So be sure to stay tuned, keep with it, and be prepared to be highly contested. Have a good one. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested. Highly contested.